Um, Do open your Bibles back up to Acts 13 that Lila read for us just a moment ago. Thank you, Andrew, for praying for us. We want to have God's Word as we sang there come alive uh, to us this evening. Do follow along as we look at that. Um, Often companies or businesses will make for themselves a, a mission statement of some sort to keep them focused and on track Um, when they're making future plans and decisions on what they should be doing, what they should be prioritizing. In essence, they're trying to set out kind of in a one sentence or so what the company is all about. I thought I'd share a few with you. Here's PayPal. To build the web's most convenient, secure, cost-effective payment solution. A little bit wordy, maybe. Or how about Ted, less wordy, to spread ideas. TED Talks. It doesn't take long to spread ideas, does it? Clear, simple. Well, how about this one? I really like this one. This is, this is from Tesla. To accelerate the world's transition to sustainable energy. Clever, right? So, how about us? How about us as a church here at Great Vic? What is our mission statement, as it were? What should we be all about as we think to the future? What is God calling us to keep prioritizing that those things would be front and center 10, 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now? Well, I think this is what our passage here in Acts 13 this evening helps us with, reminds us of what we are first and foremost called to do here as a church. In fact, whether you know it or not, we do actually have a kind of mission statement here at Great Vic, a vision statement. It says what we're all about. Here it is, to glorify the God of the gospel, to grow in our understanding and enjoyment of the gospel, to go into our city and the world with the gospel. As a church, we have to be about glorifying God, the God of the gospel, We have to be about growing in our understanding and enjoyment of the gospel, don't we? That fundamentally is what we are all, as humans, made for. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, what is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But even as we see that, I think that third section of our mission statement, then really picks up on our particular mission of the church, that we as a church and every church right across the globe is now called to. What were we going to be called to be doing in the world around us? Going into it with the gospel. As we think about this, just look with me at Acts 13. And see with me that right at the heart of the mission of the church is mission itself. The spreading of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Back in Acts 11, we saw a bit about this church in Antioch and what it was doing. How, just like the Ireland rugby team, Steve told us, it was doing the basics well. And now here in Acts 13, we pick back up and the encouragements of the church continue to come, don't they? Read verse 1 along with me. Now there were in the church in Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. This is a strong, healthy church here, isn't it? A church full of prophets and teachers. 
The distinction here isn't particularly clear and it's not pressed. But then a diverse church as well, right? Diverse, even in its leadership. Barnabas from Cyprus. Simeon and Lucius, both most likely from Africa. Manian, this guy who seemed to grow up with Herod. And then Saul from up north in Tarsus. This is a spectacularly diverse church, isn't it? If the rest of the body is representative of the leadership there. And the teaching we heard of going on in Acts 11, well, if that's continuing, this must be a growing, healthy church. So, and here is the key, I think, for all of our passage then. What do they do at this point as a healthy, growing church? Well, let's read on and see verses 2 to 4. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, there seems to be the whole church here, not just those five prophets and teachers. While they were worshipping the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Here, in these verses, I think we are meant to see the absolute priority of mission in the work of the church. See, the church in Antioch, being in such a strong position, they must have been tempted, mustn't they? Let's, let's hunker down here. Let's just continue to gather more and more people to our hub here. Let's continue to grow a stronger and stronger leadership team. And yet into that situation and into that temptation, we presume, here the Lord speaks, doesn't he? The Spirit guides and instructs. If that was a temptation, it's soon blown out of the water. Verse 2, the Holy Spirit says to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And we see from what we just read then afterwards, what that work is that they're to go and do. They're going to leave Antioch with the purpose then of spreading the gospel further and further afield. As we see this in these verses, this is all just confirming what Jesus himself had already said to the the disciples about their mission, what that was to be. Just think of those words there, Matthew 28. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Words which are also echoed in Luke 24. And of course, words which we keep coming back to as we go through the book of Acts. Acts 1, verse 8, where Jesus says to the disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Given what we see and know of the church here in Antioch, there must have been that temptation to sit back to settle into some kind of holy huddle. But here in this passage, we see the church recognizing again Jesus' commission to the church. His mission for the church is so much bigger than that, isn't it? It's to the ends of the earth. The Lord must have been delighting in this worship that he was receiving in Antioch. But here in these opening verses of chapter 13, he's saying, yes, and now press on. Press on. Don't stop there. Because do you know what? There are people in Cyprus, as we'll see this this evening, who do not know this good news of the forgiveness found in Christ. 
And that's also true of people, as we'll see over the next little while here in Acts, in Antioch, in Pisidia, in Iconium, in Lystra, in Derby, in Perga, all of these places too, they need to be reached with the gospel. And so the Holy Spirit directs the church here in Antioch to play its part in this work, instructing them to send off Barnabas and Saul to take this, this work of taking the gospel further and further afield. And this is where I think this passage comes as a huge challenge for us this evening. Because the reality is that our mission as a church today has not changed from the one of the church in Antioch, the mission that they had. We, likewise, today need to see the ongoing priority of mission for us here as a church, to keep it front and center of all that we do. We are likewise called to be witnesses to Jesus in our local community, our city here, as we've already just been praying about this evening, but even more than that, we're called to be witnesses right to the ends of the earth. And that is so important to remember and keep coming back to as we stood at the beginning, as we look forward here at Great Vic. There are many things that we would love to keep progressing, to keep seeing grow and flourish that we're doing as a church. We're even in the middle of this building project, aren't we? But in amongst all of that, we must keep mission. Missions to the nations as one of our absolute top priorities. If we as a church are going to take Jesus' words seriously, if we're going to be kingdom-minded, if we're going to be outward-looking, we need to look to play our part in today, reaching the millions upon millions upon millions of people who right now still have not heard of the Lord Jesus Christ. People like the Sakalava, in Madagascar that we were hearing about this morning. People in Bangladesh. People groups in India, in China, in South America. Even people, again as we were praying about this evening, closer to home, people in Ireland. People in countries like France and Spain and Portugal. The list could go on. And of course as we speak of mission to these kinds of countries, we also know that at the moment there is this unique opportunity that we have been presented with here in Belfast as well. As we walk around, there are so many nations represented here too. Many people, many refugees who have come to stay in hotels a few hundred meters away from us, but who have never heard of the hope of Christ. We as a church... We have this hope, this hope to share with the world. And we've been commanded to make disciples of all nations. So what would it take for us to take that more and more seriously? As individuals and as a church. For you, could that look like linking up with Brady and Martin, members here in the church, as as they head out into the local hotels? and engage with those refugees staying there. Or maybe for you that looks like downloading the Operation World app on your phone and praying each and every day for the spread of the gospel to nations right across the world. Or maybe that means coming and praying on Wednesday for the work of EMF 
as Phil Dunn shares some of what they're doing in Europe. Or maybe for you, taking this seriously could even look like going somewhere. Maybe short-term, like going to visit a missionary that you know to encourage them and to see the work that they're doing. Or maybe going on a short-term mission trip of some kind. We've got that team heading out to Albania this summer. But of course, for some of us, seeing what Barnabas and Saul do in our passage this evening, well, that could be pushing us to think, is that me? Could I be one who the Lord will send? Pack up a life here in Northern Ireland and go spend it witnessing to the hope of Christ somewhere else. Whether that's just down south in Ireland or right the other side of the world somewhere. Imagine the impact even of just 10 people here at Great Vic, going out to a place like that over the coming years. Taking the light and the hope of the gospel to those who otherwise are stuck living in despair, in darkness. Following the church's example here in Antioch, let's pray. Let's pray together that in amongst all the other good things we can do, and we will look to do here at Great Vic, God would help us to keep mission and missions to the nations front and center over the coming years too. Because you know what? A healthy church in 10, 20, 50 years here at Great Vic, that is going to be a mission-minded church. That is keeping the main thing the main thing. But then remembering this, the priority of mission, I want us now also then to look at the nuts and bolts of our passage. Because I think in here, we then also see some key principles of mission. If we're going to be this mission-minded church, how do we go about it? Well, here in our passage, I think we see at least five key principles for us to, to think about and to consider going forward. To help us try and remember them, each of these principles is going to start with an S. So here's the first one. If we want to prioritize mission, we need to start with worship. Look again with me at verse 2 of our passage. It says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. Now, it's not a surprise at all that this call from the Holy Spirit to send out Barnabas and Saul comes while the church are worshiping. Because worship is like that kindling that then lights that blazing fire and desire for mission. Worship is, as the American pastor and and author John Piper puts it, the fuel of missions. Here's what he says. Passion for God in worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You can't commend what you don't cherish. Missionaries will never call out, let the nations be glad, if they cannot say from the heart, I rejoice in the Lord. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, most high God. Our God is worthy of all of our praise and worship. And recognizing that as Christians, we should then long for more and more people to join in 
with that praise, with rightly worshipping and honouring our God. So as we see this, here I think is where we start if we want to prioritise mission as a church, with worshipping our God. And then letting that worship fan into flame our desire to spread the good news and to speak of the glory of God to the ends of the earth. How do we do all of that? Well, we do that as we meet like this each and every Sunday. Like we've sung this evening. We, we sing, tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. Like we've prayed this evening. We do that, of course, as we're taught together by God's word each and every week. Just think again of the the church there in Antioch. We've been told about all these prophets and teachers. As they taught, that must have been leading the church there into praise and worship. Well, let's let that be the case for us too. Let's ask for God's word and his spirit to be genuinely leading us into greater and greater praise and worship of our God because he deserves all worship and praise. Worship is the fuel of missions. So as we see that in our passage, worship is where we should start if we're going to prioritize mission going forward. Let's see then the second principle of mission that we see in this passage, that we are to send people who the Lord has gifted This particular principle comes with two parts. First, the who of who's sent. We've already seen from different passages in Acts, from chapter 4 and 11, Barnabas. And we've seen his gifting, haven't we? In particular, we've seen his character. He is the son of encouragement. He is one full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And of course, from chapter 9, we know that Saul... Well, the Lord has gifted him as a preacher. He speaks the word of God powerfully and he proved, didn't he, back then, that Jesus was the Christ. So seeing this, surely our initial thought is, well, Barnabas and Saul, they're the obvious candidates, aren't they, to settle down here, to settle down in Antioch. These are the guys who are going to lead this church forward for the next 20, 30 40 years. And yet we know God had other plans. Plans that go against so much of of what we'd be tempted to think. If we were to become too inward-minded, that is. See, as a church, if we become too focused on ourselves and the success of each and every program and ministries, we could be tempted to become a bit like a successful company or business or a top sports team, for example, just looking to keep hold of all of our most gifted, talented people, and then recruiting more on top of that to come join us. Just think of Man City, for example. Erling Haaland, yes, we'll keep him. Kevin De Bruyne, yes, we'll keep him as well. And then do you know what? Next year, we'll look to act Declan Rice, maybe even Harry Kane. As a church, if we're to follow after the church here in Antioch's example, we need to be doing the opposite of that. 
We need to be looking for those who God has gifted and enabled and then considering, well, could it be that God would have them serving somewhere else? Spreading the gospel there. Taking the gospel to places where they've never heard the good news. Not that that doesn't hurt, right? We'd love to have people like Shane, like Nicola, still with us, serving in the church here, worshipping with us. And we don't like to think that others from amongst us could go somewhere else. And yet, if we are going to prioritize mission as a church, like we should, we need to be ready, ready for God to send people like that out from us. Dare we then pray in light of this passage that God would continue to do that amongst us in the next years? It's a big thing, but I think we should be. That led by the Spirit, God would be guiding and directing more and more individuals here. And then also us as a church to then be sending them out into the mission field. That's the second thing that's the second thing in this second principle as we look at verse 3 then that's sending look at verse 3 they sense the spirit's guiding and then the church fasts and prays and then purposefully in verse 3 there it says the church lays their hands on Barnabas and and Saul and sends them off and as you think about that imagery it's beautiful isn't it See, mission is a priority of the church. And some of the church will be called to go and do mission full-time in some kind of cross-cultural capacity. And others won't, but that doesn't mean that we don't all have a part to play in this. It seems like, doesn't it, in verse 3, the whole church is involved in sending Barnabas and Saul out as they lay their hands on them and pray for them. And as we'll see in a few weeks' time, this beautiful partnership continues as at the end of Acts chapter 14, we read of Barnabas and Saul then coming back. They come back from their journey and they gather this church in Antioch together and they share with them how God has been at work through them. That must have been such an encouragement for the church, mustn't it? Even as they felt the loss of Barnabas and Saul amongst themselves. God is at work through them. See, sending people who the Lord has gifted doesn't mean cutting ties with them. No, it's the opposite. Sending people out, we should then be supporting them. Supporting them in whatever way we can, financially, practically, prayerfully, whatever other way. As we'll continue to see in Acts, the work missionaries are called to is not easy work. That's why it's so great that God sets a general principle here for us in the Bible, in this chapter, of a church sending, sending those into the mission field because then they know that they do not go alone. They go with the backing and support of the church, of God's family. In light of that, I wonder what you could be doing this evening and on into the weeks and months ahead to encourage and support our missionaries. Aroldo and Emmanuel and Shane in Portugal, John and Lourdes in Peru, even now Nicola as well. Could you pray more purposefully for them? Could you give to what they're doing financially? 
to support them. Could you visit them and encourage them in that way? If we're to be a mission-minded church, we need to be first sending out those that the Lord has gifted, but then also developing that ongoing partnership with them in whatever way we can. And flowing from that then, here's a third principle. A third principle for us to see in our passage, that as we seek to prioritize mission, we need to seek the Spirit's guidance and his power through prayer. And this principle of mission, as I think we look at it, applies for both the churches who are sending people and also to those being sent themselves. First, look with me at verse 3 again. In verse 2, we read of the Spirit's leading of the church, guiding them as to who they're to send. And what's their response? Verse 3, the church go back to fasting and praying again, don't they? Why do they do that? Well, likely, I think, for two reasons. First, just to seek confirmation from the Lord about this call and what it would mean. But then also, surely then, to intercede for Barnabas and Saul as they then do go out with the gospel. See, the church recognizes here, this is the Lord's work. And so they want to seek him in all things. And they recognize that in a work like this, Apart from the work of the Spirit, it will not succeed. Apart from the Lord's blessing. Apart from the Lord's hand, as we talked about a few weeks ago. Just look at verse 4, and it seems we see this prayer answered in some ways, at least initially, don't we? As we see not only the church sending Barnabas and Saul out, but the Holy Spirit too. Again, a great picture. They go, but they do not go alone. See, in both the sending church and the ones being sent out, seeking the Spirit's guidance and power through prayer, they are recognizing the fundamental reality in all of this, that none of them on their own will be able to do this task. It is beyond them. Thinking about all of this got me onto DIY. Now, I'm not great at DIY, I do sometimes attempt the basics myself. Occasionally, I successfully change a light bulb. Sometimes I even put up a shelf, even if it means it's just slightly wonky. But I definitely also know my limits when it comes to DIY. There are some things that I just know that is beyond me. Like, for example, attaching our TV to the wall when we arrived here in Belfast a couple years ago. That was not something I was going to risk doing on my own. I needed help. If that wasn't going to end up being a potentially life-threatening hazard to anyone who comes into our sitting room. Well, it's a bit like that with missions. But even more so, I think. As we look at the task, the reality is that not one of us is up to this task on our own. None of Araldo and Emmanuel, John and Lourdes, or Shane could do what they are doing on their own. But here is the amazing thing. They do not have to. They have the Holy Spirit who goes with them in it all and who, as the mighty God living in them, is powerful and able to do incredible things through them. And so, recognizing that reality, we 
And those out on the mission field too need to seek the Spirit's guidance and power through prayer that he would work mightily. Where otherwise, by ourselves, we would completely fail. After all, out on the mission field, we also don't know what we're going to be faced with. Just think of that very tricky situation here in this passage. Barnabas and Saul, they're they're faced in verse 6 to 10 with this magician, this false prophet. We're going to come back to that. But look again in verse 9. Who is it that helps? We read that Saul, from from now on to be called Paul, he is filled with the Holy Spirit. And he rebukes him. Here again, it is the Spirit at work through Paul. He is guiding and working through him. And I think seeing this should, pure and simple, again, drive us to our knees here at Great Vic. Drive us to our knees as we pray for our missionaries. And we pray for other missionaries that we know as well. That God would work through them powerfully by the Spirit that the Spirit would give them wisdom and words that is beyond beyond their limited human capacity. And that the Spirit will help them to boldly speak with the people about the hope of Christ. Why not commit again this evening? Maybe just once a week around the dinner table. Maybe every morning as you spend some time with the Lord. Who am I going to pray for? who's out on the mission field. Given how the Lord works through prayer, like we saw last week, it would be exciting, wouldn't it, to see the fruits of those prayers as we hear back from those on the mission field in the coming months and years. Fourthly then, as we keep moving through these principles, these principles of mission, here's one specifically for those called to mission. They're called to speak the word of God wherever they go. Just look at how this is repeated in our passage. Verse 5, when Barnabas and Saul arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And presumably, as we read in verse 6, as they go through the whole island, they're continuing to do that, to speak the word of God. Because we see in verse 7, don't we, this proconsul in Cyprus, Sergius Paulus, he sends for them, Why? End of verse 7 with me. Because he wanted to hear the word of God. And then we read, again repeated in this passage, this same proconsul believes in verse 12, partly because of what he's just seen Paul do, as we'll come on to, in causing Elymas to become blind. But most of all, why? Because he is astonished at the teaching of the Lord. In many ways, mission is really complicated. It involves uprooting, changing, learning, adapting. But here is one thing that is not complicated about mission, that doesn't need adapting. It is that we are called to speak the word of God wherever we go. In some ways, again, just as for the fact that the Spirit is involved in this work, I think this should be reassuring to us, should encourage us. Just think about this proconsul in verse 12. 
Before he come, came across Barnabas and Saul, he seems to have had no real links to anything to do with Christianity, anything to do with Judaism, apart from this false prophet who, who's straying far from Judaism in this job of court wizard or something like that. But there in verse 12, what do we see? We read that even he, with no background, even he believes, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. That is the power of the word of God as it goes out. As the Spirit opens this man's eyes to see his need of Jesus too. See, what we, when what we do is faithfully, clearly, boldly speak the word of God, we can trust God. We can trust that God will not let that word come back to him empty. It will accomplish all of his purposes. And so that is the task of the missionary. Above all, to speak the word and then pray and trust that the Lord will use that to do his work. I wonder if uh, any of you have, uh, have ever come across this Dettol mold and mildew remover. Hopefully your houses don't need that. But let me just tell you, if you do, this is incredible stuff. Our, our flat back in London, it seemed to get moldy very, very quickly. But all I had to do was spray this on it. And then when I came back five minutes later, completely gone. It says on the bottle, I think, no need to scrub. Absolutely true. I would genuinely recommend it to anyone. So go and, go and find yourselves that, although I'm sure other brands are also available. Now, why do I say that? Well, because I think it's a bit like the work of the missionary, or any of us, actually, as we go about speaking the word of God to those around us. See, we speak it. But of course, from then on, it is over to the Lord, over to God himself to, by his spirit, make that word do its work in the lives of those who we're speaking with. Of course, we can pray, we should pray, but having spoken the word, there is no need to scrub. There is nothing more that we then need to do. And I hope verse 12 encourages you. We can be sure that as God's word goes out, people, even the most unexpected of people, like this important proconsul, they will respond to it and they will come to trust in the Lord for themselves. So that's our fourth principle for the missionary, but then also for all of us too, isn't it? As we seek to go out, wherever our mission field is, day by day, to speak the word of God, wherever we go, knowing that as Paul says, the word of the cross to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Finally then, here's our fifth principle, fifth and final principle of mission. And that is that the missionary is to stand firm against the devil's lies and attacks. Like we said last week, this is the reality. The devil is going to do everything and anything that he can to put a stop to the kind of work that we see going on here in Acts 13. The gospel is going out into new territory. Here's it here, isn't it? 
In some senses, as we see here in, in Acts 13, what we see is Barnabas and Saul crossing over the enemy lines, isn't he? As they go out. Up to this point, what is Cyprus? We read in chapter 11 that a few Christians have made their way there. But Cyprus, largely, up to this point, a country in darkness. A country without the hope of Jesus. And yet, here come Barnabas and Saul, crossing the enemy lines, filled with the Holy Spirit and speaking the powerful word of God. And even in verse 7, speaking it to this hugely influential individual who could in turn be significant in passing the good news on to others too. So crossing over the enemy lines like this, it is not a surprise that we see a counterattack, that the devil fights back. That's what we see, isn't it? In through this Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus or Elymas the Magician. In verse 8 we read, he opposes Barnabas and Saul, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. That is the devil's work. That is what he longs to do. And what we see then is in verse 9, well, it's Saul. It's, It's Paul now, standing firm against this opposition. He recognizes, doesn't he, where this attack is coming from. Just look at verse 10, what he says there. You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? This man is no bar Jesus, the son of Jesus. This man is bar Satan. He is the son of the devil because he is opposing God and his work. And so Paul rightly rebukes him, doesn't he? He casts judgment on him. And as he does so, I think we are meant to see, once again, the contrast here. Like we've seen all the way through in the book of Acts up to now. Where this man, he might have been able to do seemingly impressive things as this magician. Look at what happens in verse 11. When the hand of the Lord is upon him, he is made immediately blind. This mighty magician reduced to a man wandering around in the dark, asking others to lead him by the hand so he can go where he needs to. Acts has reminded us time and time again that we should expect the devil to scheme and to plot against God and his people and his plans. But here again it reminds us that the devil's schemes and his plots, they are no match for our mighty God. He will overcome all of the devil's schemes. Just as verse 12 shows us, doesn't it? Bar-Jesus, this this, uh, magician, he wanted to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Verse 12, we read these two simple words. The proconsul, he believes. In mission, as we cross enemy lines, we should expect the devil to fight back. But here is the thing, we can stand firm against his lies and his attacks because we can look to our God. We can look to him and ask for the Spirit to help us because we know that our God is in our corner of the ring. He is more powerful than the devil. He is more powerful than anyone who will come against us. And ultimately, the devil's defeat is assured. 
So from all that we've seen this evening, here is what we as a church, and then each of us individually, I think, need to hold on to, to remember that right at the heart of our mission here as a church is mission itself. The spreading of the gospel, taking the good news of Jesus out to the ends of the earth. As we look to the future, there will be many good things that we here at Great Vic will want to do. Many important things for us to be doing, but we need this passage in Acts 13 to remind us to keep this front and center, to keep this part of our mission statement front and center, that we are to go into our city and to go into our world with the gospel. Because as we are doing that, we are shining light into darkness. We are bringing hope where otherwise there is despair. As we close, let's pray that we as a church and as individuals would remember this. Remember this calling. And then that we would seek to play our part in whatever way God would guide us to. Let's pray for that now as we close. Lord God, we thank you for this section of your word. Lord, we thank you for the key principles that we see here. And Lord, we thank you for the example of the church in Antioch. Lord, that having Barnabas and Saul amongst them, they listened to your guiding and your leading by your spirit, and they sent them out into the world. And Lord, thank you that as we're going to read over the, the weeks to come, as we continue on through Acts, you mightily use them to spread this good news to many places where otherwise they would have been in darkness, without any hope at all, without the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for how you've used them, and Lord, we thank you for how you have used so many people down through the centuries, those who have been willing to hear your guidance and your call to go to go to the furthest corners of our world with the gospel. Lord, we thank you for those who who brought the gospel here to our land. And Lord, we thank you for those who have brought us the gospel. That as we prayed earlier, this evening, each of us can know the rest and the hope that is in Jesus. We delight again in that this evening. And Lord, out of that, out of what we know you have done for us, Lord, would you give us a desire Give us a desire to go out then to the world around with this hope. Lord, would you help us as a church, as we've just been thinking about, to prioritize this? Lord, would you guide us in how we can do that? And Lord, as we said earlier, we dare to pray that over the coming years, there would be people here amongst us who would be going out with this good news to people who otherwise would be without hope. Lord, would you guide and direct those people? Would you place a calling on them? And would you guide and direct us as a church as we think about that too? And help us to send and support our missionaries well. Because you are a God who goes out into the world, spreading this good news. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to um, pick up on much of what we've just been thinking about in our final song.
facing a task unfinished as we remember what we are called to. Let's uh, stand and sing as the musicians play.
And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.